Detroit police say that crime in the city dropped nearly 20 percent in 2023 compared to 2022. But crime stats can be more complicated than they look. Today, we're checking out what these numbers really tell us. Plus, we'll hear more from the two reporters who brought us this story. And we'll talk to them about what other subjects they have their eyes on this year. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. Michigan Public's Adam Yehya Reyes and Brianna Rice investigated Detroit crime rate numbers and also looked at how these numbers square with Detroiters' perceptions of safety in the city. Let's have Adam and Brianna take it away from here. Officials took to a podium inside Detroit police headquarters last week to tout a significant drop in crime. Mayor Mike Duggan credited police department initiatives for the, quote, remarkable year. Across America, you're seeing violent crime coming down off of the COVID peaks. What is different in Detroit is we're not coming down off the COVID peaks. Our homicide numbers are below the pre-COVID levels. Detroit police say preliminary counts show 2023 has significantly fewer shootings and carjackings than the year prior. Homicides drop most significantly, they say, with the city's lowest total since the mid-1960s. But these numbers can be a bit more complicated than they seem. So Michigan Public's data reporter Adam Yehia Reyes is here to help me break it down. Hey, Adam. Hey there. So let's interrogate these numbers some more. What stands out to you? What's missing? Here's the thing. Detroit police did count fewer homicides in 2023 than any year prior, going back to 1966. But just using raw totals to compare different years, especially different decades, leaves out some important context, like changes in Detroit's population. Detroit had a lot more people in the 60s, right? More than double what we have now. But why does that matter? I asked Wendy Johnson to explain that. She's a sociologist and directs Oakland University's criminal justice program. It matters because the more people you have, the more opportunity for homicides to occur. Johnson says homicide numbers are actually more reliable than other crime stats. They're high profile and less likely to go unreported. But she says a single year's totals don't give a great sense of what's going on. What we actually need is a homicide rate that takes population into account. So when we look at this rate, is 2023's homicide count really that historic? It is a lot lower than 2022's rate. Right. As we heard Mayor Duggan say, 2022 was part of an unusual three-year spike that experts and officials believe was largely brought on by the pandemic. Exactly. And when you look at pre-pandemic rates, 2023 is pretty much the same. Oakland University's Wendy Johnson says that's a good thing because it likely signals an end to the pandemic spike. But there's a lot these numbers can't tell us, like why they do or don't change. Officials say 2023's drop is largely because of police efforts. Johnson says it's hard to prove which factors make a difference. It can include policing behaviors and police policies, certainly. But it can also include things like economic stress or improvements. And more importantly, these numbers don't tell us how safe the people of Detroit feel. I asked Aaliyah Harvey Quinn about that. She founded and directs Force Detroit, an organization now supported with city funding to focus on crime reduction. She says the efforts of her organization and others like it are starting to be felt in the community. And they're beginning to feel safer. Um, and that matters deeply, deeply, deeply to us. She says she has seen police attribute crime drops to a lot of different strategies over the last decade. But she says the parts of the city that experience the most violence haven't really seen any improvement. The neighborhood her organization works in is called Cody Rouge. 
It's a mostly black and low-income neighborhood on Detroit's west side. Officials say Cody Rouge saw fewer shootings in 2023 compared to the prior year. Harvey Quinn hopes that trend will continue. Again, it's really hard to quantify what exactly is causing Detroit's crime stats to apparently stabilize. But for Harvey Quinn, these numbers are promising. And she says she's hopeful organizations like hers can do the work needed to address the violence that has shadowed Detroit for decades. We are able to de-escalate people um, from violent incidents, but we've got to offer them hope. And hope comes in the form of, you know, job opportunities. It comes in the form of basic needs support. She says making a significant difference will require a long-term commitment from city officials to violence reduction strategies beyond the police. You know, Brianna, you talked to folks about what these crime rates mean to them. What are some other reactions you've heard? I've talked to a few people now as I, I've been working on these stories, and I think that people do hold their breath for these homicide numbers. Some communities are impacted by these numbers a lot more because they're happening in their communities. And so when these numbers are going down, it is telling about the safety of the people around them. But I think in general in the city, yes, less homicides happening is a good thing for people. It makes people in general think that there's more safety here. It invites people to come here, and it's a good sign to them that post-pandemic, Things are going down. Yeah, for sure. And it you know, makes me think about something that Wendy Johnson at Oakland University was, was telling me about, you know, how these numbers get used, you know, politically to, to some degree by police departments and others, right? When the crime numbers go down, police may use that to kind of point to a justification for resources, um, you know, that they have asked for in the past or additional resources on top of what they've already asked for. You know, this thing is working clearly based off of this crime stat, so give us some more money. Or, you know, they might kind of do the opposite, right? The crime stats are, are going up. They might say this is because we don't have enough resources for, you know, this, that, or the other. You know, because I think so many people are paying attention um, to these numbers, I think they end up being very useful in conversations by officials and, you know, our leaders in terms of, like, decisions that they make about the future of the way they spend city resources. The implications of these statistics have real impact, but I have one lingering question about the numbers themselves. Adam, what do we know about the way the Detroit Police Department tracks these numbers? Because I can imagine the way these numbers are recorded can skew the data. You know, it's basically what police are able to find, right? So that's an important caveat to any sort of crime statistic. Um, homicides are, like we heard earlier, less likely to go unreported. But, you know, people go missing every year and some of those people may die and police may not find those people each year. So it's not like some omnipotent count of every person who died via homicide. There's also just the fact of the way that police report things can be a little bit off sometimes. These numbers are just preliminary numbers. You know, Detroit Police Department says that there are investigations they're still working on that might make the numbers go up or down. So depending on how police label things, a certain type of case might end up in one count one year and may not the next. You know, for example, there was a 2019 study that found thousands of cases over the over several decades of people who died due to police violence that were not counted in the national homicide count. Very few numbers in this world are ever like truly perfect. And that's especially, I think, true for crime stats. 
And so it's just important to kind of keep in mind that like minor fluctuations could be due to more like misreporting than an actual like change in violence in the city. We need to take a break. When we come back, we'll hear more from Adam Yehya Reyes and Brianna Rice about their reporting and plans for this year. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Okay, so I mentioned at the top of the pod that Adam Yahya Reyes and Brianna Rice are both reporters here at Michigan Public, the station that powers this very podcast. They are also both on New Beats this year, and I wanted to know a little bit more about what's on their minds. Brianna, Adam, you guys both have new roles here at Michigan Public, and I wanted to ask about some of the things that you're hoping to do this year. Brianna, maybe we could start with you. You're on the criminal justice beat now. What do you think is in store in 2024? Yeah, I think it's going to be a big year, and it has been for a few years, but I am definitely focused on criminal justice in the form of public safety and who gets to feel safe and where people get to feel safe in this city. That's definitely top of mind for me. But I also am really hoping to come back and look at the police department. I think there were a lot of new initiatives last year. Less lethal weapons like pepper spray guns, foam bullets, $10,000 raises for officers that brought more officers to the city. And also it's supposed to have more officers walking in neighborhoods and patrolling. The department's announced partnership with county, state, and federal enforcement, clearing of a backlog of pandemic cases in court, more trained officers to respond to mental health calls, um, which can include things like using a green light instead of red and blue when they're pulling people over. So as we said in the story, there's not really a way to track if any of these things make people feel safer, especially when they're doing them all at once. But I am definitely interested in looking more into these these initiatives, these partnerships with community organizations and kind of talking to people about how it makes them feel, what's happening, and definitely this idea of safety and who feels safer, I think, is is what is top of mind for me right now, you know, two weeks into this new beat. That's a lot and plenty. Brianna, anybody who follows public safety knows that some of this stuff kind of has a weird cyclical feel to it. I mean, there are the experiences that people have in their neighborhoods of, you know, fewer criminal incidents, people they know being affected by it. And then there's also sort of like the public perception, uh, how administrators at City Hall are spending time or not spending time on these issues. And I just kind of wondered what kind of position you see Detroit in right now. You know, several years into Mike Duggan's administration, a few years into a new police chief, and a couple of years after a pretty big national reckoning on how communities of color are affected by police use of force. 
Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you will hear everyone who ever speaks with the police department, including Mayor Mike Duggan, say Detroit is the best police department in the country. And, you know, I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is that they are doing a lot of like programming, um, a lot of focusing on how to respond to mental health calls. They're also partnering with community organizations, which I do think is kind of a unique program that we have this year. So um, they have a new program called Shot Stoppers, not like Shot Spotter, which is the surveillance equipment that can pick up gun violence. But um, it's Shot Stoppers where they partnered with six community organizations and gave them $175,000 plus potentially more money each quarter to try to stop violence before it happens. And I think that's something special that the police department and city are focusing on. And it's something community organizations have been asking for for a really long time, this investment into the groups that are already in the community. So I think Detroit is kind of, I don't want to say ahead of the game, but at least along with the game to try to figure out how we can make this city safer, especially for communities of color and communities that have a lot of violence in them. Adam, what about you? What do you have in mind for a, a year in data reporting in the next year, either within criminal justice context or other kinds of stories? Yeah, I think you'll see me working with Brianna on a lot of the stuff that she talked about, you know, wherever we can find data or kind of create our own data just through like talking to large numbers of people. I think outside of that, you know, I'm looking at a lot of things in terms of the changing hospital system landscape in the state, um, you know, looking at some workforce uh, development things like uh, apprenticeships and there's a lot of places that I think I can sort of lend my uh, data skills to to kind of help us get a better understanding of of each other and our communities, you know, in the in the state. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything is data, or I guess so the titans of social media would <laughs> have us believe. Zooming out, how do you see the role of data and data reporting in the media landscape and how we understand the issues that are affecting us? Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, looking at the story, right, like something as simple as like a homicide total, right, I think is a little bit more complicated when you get into, you know, how this number comes to be and what it actually means for the people that are, you know, living in, in a city like Detroit. Um, and I think that's kind of my my primary role as the data reporter is to bring these numbers forward and then put them in the context of how they came to exist, what they can and can't tell us, because more often than not, uh, you know, we will kind of make assumptions because something is a number that it can, you know, it's definitive, that it, you know, means what it seems to mean on the surface. And that's 100 percent and it's 100 percent correct. And that's rarely ever the case. Even some of the best numbers that we have still have lots of important caveats that we need to think about. And so I think my role as a data reporter, I see as kind of stepping back from the initial like gut reaction to 250 something homicides and kind of taking a look and asking, what does that actually mean? And finding people who can kind of put humanity to that. So it's not just a number. It's, it's about real people. And I think the, the number one thing I want to do is make the, the numbers work for, for you, our, our audience, right? I want you to be able to look at a number, whether it's a homicide stat or the completion rate for an apprenticeship program or a hospital, you know, some stat about a hospital near you and be able to apply that to your life in a way that makes a meaningful difference. 
Brianna, there are some similar questions around criminal justice reporting. I mean, this is a this is a time in America when we all certainly have our own experiences, but we also have access to other people's experiences through socials. How do you think about criminal justice and the media landscape and the, the kind of questions that people want answered that they may not just get scrolling through their feeds? Yeah, I think in particular, criminal justice reporting is some of the most harm that reporting has caused, um, particularly in communities of color and with poor people. I just think about at my last job, I got us to stop using mugshots, which was so important to me because, you know, we put these mugshots up and never follow through with the case. And that follows people for a really long time. I also just think, you know, in general, we have America has done harm putting a lot of people in prison. People have a lot of questions, even communities who interact with the police a lot. They might not know what rights they have or like how often things happen. I I recently, a family member of mine got arrested and they were so upset because the police hadn't read them their rights. And I had to explain to them, like, that's not actually a thing like that has to happen when you're getting arrested for something like that. I think that there is a, a base level understanding that maybe a lot of us don't have. And I do approach this job trying to think about the people I'm writing about, the things that they need. And criminal justice isn't just about reporting on police. It's reporting on communities that um, interact with police and uh, making sure that their stories are told as well. So I definitely think this is a super important beat. I'm honored to be on it, um, especially something that's just touched so much of my family. I think that um, we are trying to think of ways to help people have what they need to thrive. And I'm definitely approaching this beat with that lens. Brianna Rice is the criminal justice reporter on Michigan Public's Amplify team. We've also been talking with Adam Yehia Reyes, who's data reporter for Amplify. They'll be working together and separately on many, many things for you to hear and see in 2024. Brianna, Adam, thank you both so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, April. That's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find the full Stateside show at michiganpublic.org. By the way, if you've been away for a week and you don't know what that name's about, please just head over to michiganpublic.org to find out more about our new name. Our episode today was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. She's our podcast editor. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our interns are Olivia Meradian and Laura Neong. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis, and music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. Thanks for listening today. We'll catch up with you next time. Bye-bye.